0: Hey there, thanks for joining us here at Compass Church, where we are making God accessible to everyone. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us as a church, head over to our website, compassbn.com. We hope this inspires you and gives you practical ways to live out your faith. Enjoy the message.
1: Well, good morning. Thank you so much for joining us. I am Chris and I'm the pastor at Compass. So if we haven't met... How do you do? It is my pleasure to meet you. And I wanna start today by debunking something, okay? So are you ready? Here it is. Multitasking is a myth. Multitasking is the idea that you can do multiple things at a time and still be effective at it. And lots of people think that they are good multitaskers. You might even be thinking that right now. You are a great multitasker and I'm full of it but science shows us that our brains are not wired to do multiple things at a time. I mean, check this out. Okay, this this video is a great description of how our
0: brains work. Today, we're gonna to play a game specifically designed to test your spatial awareness. Meet the Brain Games Double Dutch team. What does jumping rope have to do with the brain? Well, double dutch requires off-the-chart spatial awareness. And today, these kids are gonna help us test yours. For this game, all you have to do is keep track of the number of times that either of the girls in green jumps. You'll count each time one of them lands a jump, like this.
1: One, two, three, four, five.
0: As you can see, these jumpers are pretty quick on their feet, so you're gonna have to pay attention to keep up. When the whistle blows, start counting. Ready, go. How many jumps did the green team make? Did you say 38? If so, you agreed with 40% of our test audience. <laughs> now, some of you may be on to us, but for those of you who aren't, did you happen to notice anything else going on during the Double Dutch? Maybe a giant chicken strolling right through the middle of the set and doing a funky chicken dance? Now, some of you may have missed that funky chicken, but many of you probably saw it, and that's okay because the chicken was just there to distract you too. Here's the real question. What color was the wall behind the double dutch game? Here's a hint. It wasn't the same color at the end as it was when they started jumping. The back wall was changing color the entire time, from bright blue to bright red. Nearly everyone misses it, but why? It turns out there's far too much information coming in through the eyes at any given moment for the brain to fully process all of it. As a result, the brain has to act like a spotlight, focusing our attention on some parts of the scene, but not others. Now, most of you were probably paying attention to the jumpers, and some of you may have suspected that something strange was going to happen, and so you saw the chicken. But you probably weren't paying attention to the back wall. And what we don't pay attention to, we don't see. And uh, hey, for those of you who managed to catch everything so far, Did you notice that we also swapped the rope turners out halfway through? Gotcha.
1: So when we have a task in front of us like counting jumps, our brains are not wired to be able to handle a bunch of other tasks. And and like that guy just said, what we don't pay attention to, we don't see. Studies on multitasking have shown that we aren't really doing multiple things at once, that actually what's happening is that we are just paying attention to one little thing for a little bit of time and then another and another and then eventually we loop back to the first thing. So we're doing one thing at a time in small enough bites that it gives us the illusion of multitasking, but it isn't real. And there are consequences too. I mean, a study several years ago at the University of California, Irvine, it showed that when we are distracted or when we take attention off of a primary task when we're doing it, let's say you're working on something that's really important uh, for work. and, And when you take your mind off that primary task, it takes an average of 23 minutes and 15 seconds to get back to it. So it's not just that we can't jump from task to task, but finding that sweet spot of focus and efficiency, it takes a lot of time. So when your phone rings or you check your email or you pop onto Facebook when you're doing something important, your productivity on on that specific task comes screeching to a halt. And even if you get back to it really quickly, your brain can still take up to half an hour to shift back into full gear. What's fun is even though that I've, debunked the multitasking myth, I know that you may still be sitting there believing that you are different, that you actually can do it, that you are the exception to the rule. And I get it. I mean, I've thought that too. The reason we we rationalize it that way is because we, we wanna have our cake and eat it too, right? I mean, we wanna be productive and still do things the way we want without having some rule or science experiment dictating to us what's possible and what isn't possible. This way of thinking, this rationalization, is actually why it gets complicated when we read what Jesus said in Matthew six twenty one. Jesus said this, "'Wherever your treasure is, "'there the desires of your heart will also be.'" Jesus is saying, and we've talked about this over the last several weeks, that where we invest our treasure, so our money, our time, our talents, our rights, that where we invest those things, that that is what matters to us most. What we spend the most on reveals what's most important to us. And Jesus' response for us to this truth is to invest in the kingdom of God rather than investing in our own temporary earthly comforts and desires. And last week, we talked about Jesus's first elaboration on the statement he makes by talking about how one of the primary ways that we invest in his kingdom is by living in generosity uh, towards those who are in need. How a heart with treasure in the kingdom of heaven is actually a heart that treasures others first. But as Jesus continues teaching on this, he tackles a rationalization we make that we can have it all. That we can have our cake and eat it too, because Jesus says this in Matthew six twenty four. He says, "No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other; you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money." So, I mean, there's some questions here. What does it mean to be enslaved to money? What does it mean to be devoted to God and not to money? And, and Jesus's perspective on this is really kind of radical in a couple ways. And the first is that he he doesn't describe money just as a tool that we leverage, but he describes money as the primary competitor with God for our affection. I mean, if I asked you what or who is God's greatest enemy in the battle for humankind, most people would be like Satan, right? Or maybe you'd say something like some other competing religious or political system, usually one that we aren't a part of and that doesn't really affect us, right? That's why we say it. But Jesus doesn't set up, just set up money as our primary competitor with God. He actually paints it in religious terms. It's not just the desire for money and possessions, but it's the worship of them, making an idol of them, putting our trust in money instead of God. And I know that in the same way, that no matter what you think, multitasking isn't a thing, that Jesus also debunks the myth that we can both be devoted to God and be devoted to our pursuit of personal wealth and comfort. And I know that while the statement that Jesus makes is kind of clear on the surface that you can only have one master, I think it has some ambiguity on how we actually live it out. I mean, what does it mean to not be devoted to our possessions? What does it mean to not be enslaved to money? Well, Jesus had an interaction with someone that was documented in the Gospel of Mark that brings some clarity, not only to the statement, but it brings clarity to how we can adjust our attitude toward money and how we leverage it for the kingdom of God. And so join me in looking at Mark chapter 10. We start in verse 17. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him. He knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So a guy runs up to Jesus, obviously he respects Jesus, maybe is even already a follower of Jesus to a degree, he knelt before him, and he asks this question that I think everybody asks, and that's this, what do I need to do to be right with God? Jesus answers, Mark 10, 19, you know the commandments, you must not murder, you must not commit adultery, you must not steal, you must not testify falsely, you must not cheat anyone, honor your father and mother, Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all of these commandments since I was young. Jesus tells the man what the man was probably expecting to hear, right? The list of things that we need to do in order to follow God well. You know, the sins that we must avoid to keep from hurting others and to demonstrate our devotion to God. You know, these are good, strong, clear religious rules. These are the kind of religious rules we can really get our heads around and obey. And this guy, is he's delighted to hear this because he's like, I I do all those things. But Jesus continues in verse 21, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. With this statement, Jesus tells us a couple of incredibly important things, okay? The first is that a crucial part of the Christian life is giving of our own resources to help people in need. Remember the question that the guy asked? It was this, it was, how do I inherit eternal life? That is a huge spiritual and existential question. How can I be made right in God's sight? And Jesus' answer is not just to do all the good religious things that religious people should do. Fundamental to the life of someone who has been redeemed and calls Jesus Lord, is the attitude of putting the needs of others first, and the action of giving to meet those needs. And this is supported when when Jesus says, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. I mean, we've talked over the last several weeks about storing up your treasure in heaven. And I realize that phrase is kind of loose and medical, metaphorical, right? I mean, what does it mean to actually store up treasure in heaven? Well, Jesus tells us, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And Mark 10, where, where Jesus says, says this, this is not the only time he said this. Luke 12, Jesus says again, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven. And in this command that Jesus gives, we see, you know, two kind of behaviors. We we clearly see the need to care and provide for people who are in need. And we've been talking about that over the last several weeks. But we also see this. We see in it the denial of ourselves in order to do that. Jesus didn't ask the man to give out of his savings or to give out of his excess resources. He told him to sell what he already had, what he'd already worked so hard to get. And in this, we see a key principle of Jesus, and that's that followers of Jesus deny themselves in order to meet the material needs of others. I don't know that this means you need to go home and sell your TV and give the money to the Salvation Army. Okay. The thing is, Jesus was talking to specific people in a specific culture that was, I mean, economically and financially different than ours. I mean, there were no banks to save up money and and like stored coins, those things could rust and be destroyed by the elements if they were buried or hidden and and they could be stolen very easily at that time. And, And so people invested in possessions, as a way of maintaining, protecting, and even passing down their wealth. I mean, perhaps selling my cheap Ikea furniture isn't the best way of leveraging my resources for the poor. But in this is an undeniable truth that Jesus expects his followers to prioritize the care of the needy right up to the point where it requires the denial of things that we want for ourselves in order to do it. It means that followers of Jesus, we we don't just give until it hurts, we give after it hurts. We are called to a generosity that goes beyond just making us feel good about giving, but a generosity that costs us when we give. And in laying out his call to this man, Jesus makes it really clear, you can't follow me and pursue wealth and comfort. One path prioritizes our own desires and the other prioritizes Jesus's desires, but they are not parallel. They are diverging paths that do not meet. Choosing one means to deny the other. And, and we see that it's this is clear when, when the man approaches Jesus, we can see it in his response to what Jesus said in Mark ten twenty two. It says that at this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions there was no way for this man to walk the path of Jesus and the path of personal wealth and comfort. He had to choose. And it appears like he did. Although, I like to think that even though this guy's story isn't continued here, I like to think that he went home and that he eventually did what Jesus asked. Because the truth is that sometimes what God is asking of us is hard. It can be scary and sad to surrender things that you have put your devotion and trust in and surrender those things to Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with being afraid to give in a way that requires you to really trust in Jesus to provide you what you need. And there's nothing wrong with being a little sad about sacrificing something that you really wanted, but doing that for the good of someone else. But followers of Jesus, deny themselves in order to meet the material needs of others. Jesus didn't give this man the option to have all the right spiritual disciplines and follow all the right religious rules. That wasn't what he said. And he doesn't give it to us either because part of following Jesus is a denial of ourselves in order to provide for people in need, people in our church, people in our community and around the world so this is what jesus said what do we do a couple things couple suggestions first give regularly to fund the mission of your local church at compass we exist to make god accessible to everyone and we do that both by putting our resources into meeting the spiritual needs of people through you know kind of religious activities and we do it by investing in things like the compass closet which provides free clothes to children in foster care and families in need we do it by what we just did in sock summer, buying 800 pairs of socks for the homeless and paying for a building that, that we're in, that, in which we can host supervised visits for local social, servants, social service agencies who are working to put families back together. You're giving, pays for this building, this space, this resource. These things are, are just part of funding compass. And I know that sometimes it's easy to give only when you're inspired by something that happens on a Sunday. Maybe just as easily it is as it is to stop giving when maybe you don't like something that I say or that or something our church does. But your giving is not about casting a vote of approval. It's about investing in the kingdom of God. So first, begin or continue giving regularly to your local church. Second, support organizations that are doing the work. I mean, do your research. There are organizations out there that are doing a really good job of helping people in need. I mean, a couple, Convoy of Hope is a great nonprofit that works in the area of disaster relief and feeding the hungry. They are moving right now in hurricane relief. We helped with a food drive that they did last year here in town during the early peak of COVID where people weren't able to work. Uh, you can give to A21, which is a group that does amazing work in combating human trafficking and, and helping to restore people who've been trafficked. Give to these groups. Or find an organization that works in an area that God has given you a passion for. Find that organization and give. Look, if you need to take a baby step, buy Gobina a coffee in our lobby because all, the pro- all their profits go to orphan care. And then finally, Identify people in your sphere of influence who you can help directly. Do you know someone who's struggling financially? What if you paid their utility bills for a year? What if you bought them groceries or gave them an Aldi gift card, or you took their kids shoe shopping for school? Some of the best and most gratifying giving is when it allows you to develop and grow personal relationships with the people who you are helping. Invest in someone who isn't just a one-time project, but someone who can be a long-term relationship that you can share of support and generosity. And maybe it's a family member, a neighbor. It could be someone from a nursing home who you just adopt. Ask God to give you the good eyes to see who you can make a difference for. Look, I'm just I'm saying this. Just trust God by investing in what He cares about and in what builds His kingdom. We don't do it for a reward, but it's amazing how when you put God's kingdom first, how he has a way of providing for you in ways that you couldn't have on your own or in ways that you couldn't have even expected. Because at the end of the day, a life following Jesus with open hands is the best life that you could ever live. So let's join together in living with open hands to God and to others. And let's choose the path that points to Jesus And let's see what he does in our lives and in the lives of the people in need who we come behind and support. Thank you so much for your generosity. And uh, I'm going to list the links to those organizations and our church on the next screen if you want to start your giving journey today.
0: And I hope you will. But thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks again for joining us today. If you want to learn more about us as a church, get connected, need prayer, or anything else at all, head over to our website, compassbn.com.